from Beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics with occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public service professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by conservative commentator Stephanie Nitt, DePaul University economist Mike Miller, and author Rebecca Sive of Vote Her In. That's the name of her book. And uh, the goal there was uh, is to have the uh, help elect the first uh, president of the United States uh, as a woman. And uh, uh, we've come a long way since the first time she was on this program because we have we have one that's at least a heartbeat away at the moment. And we'll talk about that as the program unfolds this evening. Lots to talk about. First of all, we begin uh, Happy Mother's Day. And and uh, uh, if you want to call and and say nice things about your your mother, uh, feel free to do so. Uh, but also, and again, uh, Stephanie Hitt's going to talk about what the delights of motherhood this evening. Uh, <laughs> but one thing I also want to just put out as a, as a general appeal to anyone out there uh, listening or, or watching the show, and that is, uh, and we don't hear too much about foster mothers or foster parents. Now, we probably have many people uh, who are regulars to this program. Uh, you may be a foster parent. You may have been a foster child at some point, but you don't hear too much about it along, certainly around the the, uh, the Hallmark holidays. And so as we discuss at some point uh, motherhood and the joys or, or, or difficulties of it, uh, if if you have that story that you would like to share with the rest of our audience, I invite you to do that. 1-800-723-8289. It's not going to be the, the dominating discussion this evening, but I think it's something as... Uh, you know, with all the publicity that goes into uh, a Mother's Day, uh, there isn't too much uh, set aside for the discussion of those that come from, uh, you know, alternate families, uh, foster families, and uh, that includes the children uh, who live in those homes, but also the parents or the mothers uh, that are involved in that process. So, again, open invitation to everyone. Uh, completely different subject, and I know this is a, a toss-up. We've got uh, three, gay, three great guests for you in the first uh, uh, broadcast the first hour of this evening. I guess they'll stick around for the second hour. And I want to begin with, um, and I would begin with uh, Rebecca Sive. You are our card-carrying liberal or progressive. And my question to you is, on the subject of COVID, with everything that you know and have read about COVID, are you confident that we're sort of through the COVID crisis, or are you still worried about things? We need your microphone, uh, Rebecca. There we go. Is your microphone working? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it is. I, I muted while you were talking. So, yeah, I, I guess what I would say is I'm still worried, I, really, on two fronts. One is the economic front where, the, you know, the pandemic and the uh, all of that did such damage uh, to the economy, and we haven't fully recovered from that, as we all know. And I guess on the second front is the healthcare matter, which is that uh, it appears from what I've read recently that this will be a continuing illness for some. And so we'll have to have a good system for managing it for annual vaccinations, whatever is needed. Uh, and I think that there are some people, unfortunately, who will continue to suffer the after effects for many years to come. So that's particularly unfortunate. Amongst your friends and neighbors and colleagues within your sphere of influence, do people talk about it right now? Are they all fearful of it like they were, let's say, maybe six to nine months ago? 
I would say among my colleagues, I think people are smart about it. You know, they want to be healthy. They want to work. They want to see their families. And so, you know, when the guidance uh, came down in the various states and nationally about what to do, uh, the people I know with just a couple of exceptions followed it. And those who've been eligible to get a vaccine have gotten it and therefore are now more able to uh, be with others, both in work and personal situations. So I don't think fear is the predominant uh, characteristic. I think it's more, gee, this is something we have to deal with and hopefully soon we'll get back to a different way of living in which we can engage with other people. Stephanie Hitt joins us in studio. She's the card-carrying conservative this evening. Uh, Stephanie, within your sphere of influence and even personally, uh, are, are you still worried about COVID or do you think the COVID crisis is in the rearview mirror. It's funny. I just had this conversation, uh, you know, with my sister on the, uh, who lives in North Carolina. And um, it is interesting in my sphere of friends. I don't know anyone that is afraid of COVID or uh, it doesn't mean that we don't all each know someone or had a family member or somebody who, you know, based on their age or certain situation have had to deal with COVID and have had it. We had it in our house. But I would say most of the people I know are living life. They're going out there. They put on the mask because they have to, to go into the store. But nobody is limiting their lives. Now, Rebecca was talking about, you know, the economic and the healthcare front. For me, where I see the biggest impact on COVID is the educational front. And, you know, I, li- I, have, I have a kid in high school. Um, I have kids that are in college and, you know, school. I live in a neighborhood where all um, the families are like grade school, high school. And it is unbelievable the where we live, we are in one of the big shutdown states. So kids are not going to school. They're not in the classroom. We're seeing the incredible disparities, uh, um, you know, among kids who don't have the resources at home to to really fully take advantage of the Zoom classes that are offered, that to me is probably long-term going to be the most devastating impact um, on our society. I want to get uh, Mike Miller. You're an economist uh, at the, uh, or you teach the economy at at DePaul (laughs) University after about 35 35 years. My question to you, uh, Mike, is uh, what is your personal view about where COVID is? And uh, is there a different uh, professional view that you carry as a uh, academic? Uh, well, it, from personal view, is that uh, I think the crisis was overblown in terms. Uh, certainly, people died. There's no doubt about it. About eighty percent of them were over the age of sixty-five. Uh, a majority of those were obese or had other comorbidities. Uh, I think we will say five to ten years from now, after we look back at this, we'll see this as the greatest social policy uh, mistake in the history of the country. Uh, Personally, um, I'm vaccinated fully, so is my wife. And I want to say I almost resent when I have to go and wear a mask. What was the point of the of where of of doing the vaccine if I cannot change my life in any way? And I just feel that uh, I know it almost sounds like I'm some kind of right white right wing nut, but um, I just, if you weigh the cost and the benefits as economists are want to do, and you look at incentives, everything has been handled incorrectly. Uh, the economic cost in terms of the economy is almost unfathomable in terms of, mm-hmm. of jobs lost and mm-hmm. lives upended and so forth. 
And the benefits to me, I, I just don't see where the benefits are there. Uh, I I think this is a was a disaster. Well, okay. it's interesting. Um, you know, you asked. I was out driving yesterday. I think that the world is ready to open up and go back to business. We all know the vaccines out there. Anybody who wants it can get it. Um, it's now affecting kids. Kids, as we know, don't necessarily have to be vaccinated. They're the lowest risk group that we've got. And I will tell you, um, I hit the worst traffic yesterday afternoon on a Saturday than I, since before the pandemic. People are waking up, watch TV, watch sports on TV. Every state, Florida, North Carolina, wide open, no masks. Okay, we got to back it up right now. I'm Bruce Dumont, one 800 723 8289, back shortly from Evanston, Illinois. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Wish you were here. Words we've often seen on postcards and letters from friends and family. Luckily, there's an entire state that whispers, wish you were here. Climbing my dunes, sailing on my breezes, walking along my beaches, and getting lost and found in my forests. This is a postcard from Michigan, where wishing you were here is the heart of Pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Back. We're nice to be with you uh, back here at uh, the great studios of WCGO, which is where we do this program, Suburban Evanston, every Sunday night. Uh, I want to go back to uh, Rebecca. Rebecca, and I, this is obviously for everybody, what, in your view, did government do right, and what was the biggest thing they did wrong, and uh, are those rights or wrongs continuing to be done, in your view? Well, uh, first, before I answer the question, I just wanted to uh, comment on on something that was said earlier by Mike Miller. Uh, The first thing is I would uh, beg to differ on what was the worst thing that happened to the United States of America in its history. And I would say that was the Civil War. Not No, I'm talking about social policy. I wasn't talking about a war. I said a social policy. All right. Well, then I I didn't hear you say that. I said that. I'm positive I did. Yeah, I, I think I. I'd have to think about whether I agree with that, but I, I think the other thing is the uh, that I, you know, was particularly tel- terrible is the substantial increase in the death rate uh, last year, and that's been widely reported from CDC and other places. So it was something, it seems, uh, extraordinary and unique in terms of the uh, effect it had on the American population. Uh, as far as rights and wrongs, I think there have been, you know, there have been two different presidents who've managed or have been in office during this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, President Trump did not pay attention to this in the way he ought to. He didn't uh, marshal the resources of the federal government uh, to uh, do what needed to be done, which is to advise people about how to stay safe in a consistent way. He didn't give governors and mayors the support he needed and on and on. Um I think he, you know, the sort of capstone of that was he got his own vaccine in secret. You know, he knew that was going to be a good deal while protesting to the contrary, that it was 
no big deal. So do you mean, so uh, Rebecca, me Rebecca, let me just go back. Do, do you then disagree with, with one of the core early decisions, at least at the federal level, was when mm-hmm. President Trump said, you know, because there was one time, there was about a 48-hour uh, window where the president wanted all the control. And then he thought twice about it, and he said, no, we're going to let all the states handle it. And there were a lot of people that responded in a very positive way to that, especially those I who think- were governors who were criticizing the federal effort. So the fact of taking the the problem and, and, and passing it out to 50 governors, in retrospect for you, was that the first really big mistake that government made at the federal level? He- I, I think the mistake he made, for starters, uh, was to treat it in a trivial way for quite some time. Uh, I, I, the dates uh, just went on and on from, I think, mid-January when he knew there was a problem. Um, as to the issue of uh, taking, you know, dispersing responsibility, I think the, the you know, we're a, a union of states and the duty of the federal government is to, at the same time, do what it can do and aid the states in doing what they're best at. So, you know, he didn't marshal the federal resources uh, in the way that could be done to then get them to the states. So I think it's not an didn't either he do or. That, didn't he do that? Did he, did, he not, did, he, did he not do that by focusing attention uh, in the research and development field? I mean, that was the job of the, the president is to be able to pension, to pay attention to the whole problem, whatever that okay. problem may be. And if you don't have the bandwidth to do that, you shouldn't uh, take on the job, even run for the job. That's a bad idea. Mike Miller, your response. Uh, it certainly should have gone to the states. Uh, uh, Montana and North Dakota and South Dakota are nothing like New York and New Jersey. They have completely different situations. Uh, I thought he did just fine. Remember, he was called a, um, what were the names, uh, xenophobic and so forth when he tried to stop travel from China. Um and then, of course, we get into the point, I think it was in uh, whenever the Chinese New Year was, and Nancy Pelosi says, go and hug your local Chinese restaurant and so forth. And this was months, this was past the January time. The Democrats were already saying that that this is not a problem and you can't attack the Chinese and so forth. And so we all got caught off guard. You know, I, I had no problem with those first two weeks to find out if the hospitals could handle what was coming their way. But once that was done, Every other pandemic in the history of the United States, we've simply allowed people to be adults, to weigh the costs and benefits, and to protect those who they thought need protected, and for the rest of us to go along our lives uh, weighing those costs and benefits. We weren't allowed to do any of that, and I can't believe that here we are, these many months later, a year later, and in the state of Illinois, we still can't walk into a store vaccinated unless we have a mask on. This is just, this is lunacy, and I, there's... I think it's also dehumanizing to cover our faces the way we have. Uh, Stephanie, your response. Well, you know, I would I would agree. I think, you know, if you ask me what could President Trump did, well, well, first of all, he responded right away with the travel bans. And we all know that that looking back, that did a significant uh, that was a significant step. In Is Joe Biden it. doing a good thing now? Let, let, let's let's oh, put okay. tr- let's put Trump in the rearview well, mirror. Well, it's hard to figure out what he's doing that's any different than the playbook that was left for him. He is riding on the coattails of the system that was set up by Trump. And let's go back. If you ask me right now, what was the number one thing that Trump did that I don't know that a Hillary Clinton or a Joe Biden would have ever done? Operation Warp Speed. The the idea of 
cutting through red tape, reducing government bureaucracy, all those beautiful hallmarks of conservative principles, they played out. They came out with the best solution. And we're now living the benefit of it. Joe Biden's getting the benefit of it. So let's I mean, let's go right to it. Operation Warp Speed. Best thing ever. Uh, that was good. But, but my question Which he was, was attacked it, it, quite vehemently. Yes. Right. Yeah. But but what you said, uh, I want to I want to challenge a little bit. OK. Uh, as to what has he done right? I think I think the big thing that he's done right is he's been a calming force. You know, when when Joe Biden goes on the air and and gives a, a talk to the nation about COVID and and what's being done as he explains it, yeah. and takes a few questions, not a lot, just a few, <laughs> but he but he does he comes across as a person who is caring and who is considerate and is reasonable. And everything is done. His delivery message is all, in my view, a very positive, calming message. Well, if I can't just a minute. I can't say with a straight face that Donald Trump was any of those things. Now, that, behind yes. the scenes, he may be, be kicking butt to get yes. the you know get the get the damn uh, yes. you know, uh, medicine done. Right. But personally, I mean, the difference between when he was addressing the nation. Right. I think is night and day. Well, but you know, Joe, he sort of puts us to sleep. I think that maybe if being lulled to sleep is calming, but here's the other thing. And that is the mixed messaging that we see from this president who says, get the vaccine. And then he wears double masks outdoors right. while being doubly vaccinated or the entire Congress all of whom have been vaccinated, socially okay. distanced in a hallway wearing masks. It is, not, Rebecca, Rebecca, it is not the case that all members of the Congress have been vaccinated. There then is they can a wear masks. substantial Rebecca. number of people who've chosen not to get the vaccine. Oh, then You're right that they all have the opportunity to get it, but they all haven't taken it. And they can wear a mask, and the rest of them can go without a mask. Mike, what about well, the, what I think about the, the issue what about with the, wearing it's a mask? One second, Rebecca. No. One second. Rebecca has got the floor. Okay. Well, a couple of things. Number one, there are a substantial number of people in Congress who have not been vaccinated. So they are at risk for themselves and to other people. Number two, it's wise to wear a mask because not everyone has been vaccinated. Not everyone will ever be vaccinated. And an interesting sidelight to this, which is not insignificant, is that According to, I think, the CDC, the rates of flu and colds, and flu can be very hurtful, as we all know, went way down last year. So mm -hmm. the masks have had uh, more than one beneficial effect. Um, the other thing I would just add to this, since we were talking about, uh, I'm glad you mentioned it, Bruce, uh, the calming influence of President Biden, while he's calming people, he is uh, convinced over half of older people who are at risk to be vaccinated. That doesn't happen uh, by accident. That doesn't happen because people are falling asleep. That happens because people are paying attention and trust the messenger. So I, I think you're absolutely right. A calm, clear message that just like with flu or smallpox or chickenpox when we were all kids, if you get a vaccine, you'll be safer and healthier. Mike Miller, your response to my assessment of the, the, the difference in tone between President Trump and President uh, Biden? 
Oh, there's no doubt. Uh, yeah. We've had this discussion before, uh, Bruce, that I like Joe Biden as, uh, as a person of all the people who were running for president, the one I'd love to sit down and have some pizza and a pop with. It would have been Joe Biden. I just would love to see what's going to come out of his mouth next. And I think he'd be a hoot to deal with. And I think he is calming compared to the guy before. But what matters to me is the quality of the decision making. And I agree with the, the weird signals. You, even the vice president was on a tarmac outside, surrounded by all people who have been vaccinated. And she and her husband kiss through masks. I mean, this this kind of theater, it, it's just, it's so silly. It just drives me crazy. And I don't know why it is that this is the case. But I've always told that as a Republican, I'm not from the party of science. Yet there is no strong peer-reviewed science to say that masks work well, and for a, for a virus the size of this virus. Would you agree that with it, that, Rebecca? That, that really, I, right at the moment, there is no silent. And uh, let, let's focus. There is no science that says our schools uh, cannot open. Yeah. None. I, I, if I have the floor, I'll talk. Yeah. Um, I am not up on all the science. I think that uh, we have had good guidance from Dr. Fauci, from the new head of the uh, CDC, uh, and numerous other people about how to proceed prudently. And I think that, you know, that's that's a mix of various kinds of uh, guidance, including based Rebecca, on we've, science. Got, we've got a pause. We've got a pause. 1-800-723-8289. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Smart Talk Radio Network. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Fourteen clubs. That's what they tell us a legal golf bag can hold. And while that leaves a little room for balls and tees, it doesn't leave room for much else. There's no room left for deadlines or conference calls. Not a single pocket to hold the stress of the day or the to-do list of tomorrow. Only 14 clubs. Pick out the right one and drive it right down the middle of Pure Michigan. Your golf trip begins at Michigan.org. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are out there listening to the program. And uh, uh, if you are a mother and want to call in and offer your two cents about the whole COVID issue or anything else, do give us a call. We do have callers on the line. We will go to them in just a moment. But I do want our guests to take a moment to introduce themselves in a in a in an honest way. Rebecca Side, <laughs> we start with you. <laughs> I've described you as a progressive. Uh, we should share with the audience that you and I have known each other for probably well over 35 years. But tell me a little bit more and tell the audience a little bit more about uh, professionally what you're up to. Uh, well, I am, uh, as you said, a progressive. I'm an author. I've taught at the University of Chicago and other schools of public policy and uh, Chicago history. Um, written two books and uh, continue to be active in a variety of ways in the 
civic arena. I've held public office for a long time in the administration of Harold Washington, uh, which I believe is when we first met, mm -hmm. and also in the administration of James Thompson, who was governor of Illinois for many years. So mm -hmm. I'm pleased to say that I was selected to do that both by a Democrat and a Republican, something I take pride in. And your and your book is called Vote Her In, and it's about electing the first female vice president of the United States or president of the United States. And uh, at the beginning of the process, was my memory correct? You were for uh, uh, Senator, uh, uh, God, I'm going a blank. Uh, Is it Klobuchar? No, no. Oh, yeah. Who were you for originally? You know, uh, we may have talked Harris, about this for before. Harris? Senator Klobuchar is a friend of mine. She and my husband uh, were in law school together. So uh -huh. I've known her for a long time as well. I would have been thrilled with her as president. I think she would have done a great job. Uh, and I also was quite excited about Senator Harris because of the degree of her executive experience, which is, I think, what's needed in the Oval Office. So because I was pleased when Joe Biden picked her. Because she is vice president now, does, does that eliminate all of the other female elected officials uh, in the Democratic Party from giving serious effort to perhaps unseating her should a primary ever emerge in the way? I doubt it. I mean, you don't get to that level of politics, male or female, without relishing competition and diving in when you think you have a chance. And right. I think the women will do just what the men have done, which is... Uh, you know, if a presidency looks like it's not going anywhere and there might not be a second term and there might be a contested primary, you know, guys have, you know, hit the water, too. So I imagine the women might. It's too early now to tell, but I wouldn't count them out. Mike Miller, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my life's not quite so interesting. I um, I finished up a Ph.D. at the University of Pittsburgh in 1980, and I took a job at DePaul in Chicago, and I've been there ever since. So. I'm finishing up my 41st year as a, a faculty member, and uh, I can tell you that uh, teaching macroeconomics is is a, a very rewarding because I think it, uh, the economic way of thinking is extremely valuable in making life's decisions. And just as an aside, the last time I was in my office um, doing work uh, in an office was March 12th, uh, 2020. And uh, the university is going to teach completely online until next until this autumn, which would be uh, through the month of uh, of August. So uh, this pandemic and the fear that it has put into people has stopped education. Although there's one thing I will say that uh, Stephanie is exactly right in terms of the educational impact of this decision to close the schools where parts of many parts of the world never did this at all. Um, in college, there's lots of people who can handle online learning. Children, it takes a special kind of child to learn well online. And I think the cost to society of that year lost is going to be monumental. And it's going to travel with them their entire lifetime. For decades. Yes. Rest yeah. of their life. Right. Stephanie Hitt. I'm a uh, reformed attorney. I uh, have four children. And I drive them around. I used to drive them a lot. Now they're all growing <laughs> up and they can drive. And uh, I'm a political activist. I've been active in uh, Republican politics in the Evanston area. And I'm also a writer and commentator. I write for some different online magazines. And these days I've been uh, 
deeply entrenched in learning everything you need to know about critical race theory. Mm-hmm. So that's my latest project. And uh, We talked about that last week. We'll maybe yeah. talk about it a little bit later on in the broadcast. Yeah. But one thing is uh, the government uh, recently announced that they're spending some godly amount of money to try to educate those that have not yet decided to get uh, a vaccine. They have, right. wherever is they, 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 they've missed the messaging on it thus far from two administrations. And my question to you, uh, Mike Miller, uh, is there any way for that money to be used wisely in trying to reach people that may be unreachable and they may be, they may be conservative Donald Trump Republicans who just don't like the idea of a vaccine. They may be African Americans who are fearful of any government program because of some past, in, uh, you know, issues that they have dealt with. Uh, and my question to you is, how do you reach those that somehow have missed all the messaging for almost a year and a half now? I I think the government can maybe put out some PSAs to say it's available. Doctors that these people go to their doctor, their doctor may say, mine did because of my age. I'm 67. My wife is 67. We both, uh, she has some underlying health issues. We got vaccinated, but you know, the freedom of choice, that's all, you know, we always hear about the freedom of choice and I'm not so sure that the government should be ramming it down our throats. It's there. If you want it, you can make the judgment. We're all adults and uh, why this one would be so special that we have to somehow spend Huge quantities of money. Remember, the way to think of the cost to society of spending it on this particular action is not think it in terms of the money per se, but to think of it in terms of what is called the opportunity cost. What else could that money buy? And that is how you want to think of it. And it just seems to me that the benefits of spending that extra money on other activities would be much higher than trying to get people who are simply not going to take the vaccine. But if government is unable to get the number of people who have not yet come to the table for their shots, if you don't get a, a substantial number of those people to do so, you're never going to reach the herd immunity, which everyone has been... The what they're doing is they're looking at herd immunity primarily through how many people have been vaccinated. You understand that those who have had the disease and certainly those who had the disease with absolutely no symptoms, they're all as if they were vaccinated. They're all immune to the disease now, mm-hmm. as would be case with almost any kind of virus like this. So the data I have seen, again, I, I'm not as I'm a social scientist, but I'm not a natural scientist, but I read a lot. And it seems to me that we're very close when you add up those vaccinated, plus those who have natural immunity from having had the disease. Mm-hmm. And when you add in the fact that there is a huge number of people who will not in any way be under any kind of severe uh, stress if they happen to get it, it will be no worse than, say, a mild flu to to spend money trying to convince people to vaccinate on this, I just think is a mistake. Uh, Stephanie, again, on the issue of, of a major government investment in trying to get people who have turned a blind eye to this, how yeah. do you how do you get their attention? I, and, I is it, and is it a good uh, use of money? A, it's a mistake to have major government investment. We've just spent the last year of hearing mixed messages from our government. And I think if you talk, we... I, you know, Rebecca and Mike, maybe you guys can dispute me on this, but I think we have seen in the last year um, an American public that distrusts the government and the media probably more than they ever had, ever have since, I don't know, at least since the 60s. And 
So the more that government pushes this, the more Americans are going to resist it, step back. They're going to ask questions. There's also a really strong feeling that if you ask questions, you're there's something wrong. Stephanie, that's factually untrue. If you look at the number of people who've been vaccinated in the last mm -hmm. four, in the first four months of 2021, from January until May. What's untrue? I I didn't follow that. What's not true? That people are. That the government, that people aren't listening to the government's message and picking up on it and acting on it. Well, is it it the government or is it their own common sense? Let me, let me go. Let me go. It was my doctor that told me to get it. Right. Let me go back to Rebecca. Let me go back to Rebecca to have her offer her answer to my question. And that is uh, this large amount of federal money that's now going to be used to try to convince those who are unconvincible, at least at the moment, is that a wise investment of where the money should go? And 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 what about the uh, uh, what about those that are uh, still uh, resentful of or fearful of uh, anything that's being pushed as hard as it is by the federal government, whether it's a Trump Republican or whether it is a you know a, a you know a, an African American leader in Cincinnati. I don't think we know that uh, as a factual matter that uh, the people who have not yet been vaccinated uh, can't be further educated about uh, getting vaccinated just as we all were by medical professionals or reading materials or whatever it was. So I think that's an open question as to how many people that is. I do believe that people can be educated in a variety of ways about how to manage their health care to better outcomes. As to the amount of money that's being spent, um, to me, I think that it's really important that the governments uh, at whatever level spend the money they need, they feel they need to on public health messages. We have a, uh, in the United States, as you probably know, people are dying at a younger age than, uh, than they, you know, did before uh, the birth rate is down. There are all kinds of levels of diabetes and obesity and significant sort of problems that people have here. Uh, and so the point being that we uh, are not a healthy nation if you look across the board. It's also true that the people who are refusing to get vaccinated, many of them are suffering from those diseases. And if they get COVID, they will suffer greatly. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. I'm Bruce Dumas. Thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Along the way is where we find the unexpected. Along the way is where we take in the scenery and often where we have the most fun. Sure, along the way can be the place we stop to fill up or grab a bite to eat. But in Michigan, along the way becomes the place we've been longing for. Because enjoying the journey is always pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Back in Evanston, Illinois, and uh, you're listening to Beyond the Beltway from coast to coast and border to border. 
every Sunday night and also around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. And uh, you can find us on YouTube. You can find us uh, on Facebook. You can find us virtually anywhere. And uh, once you find us, uh, never let us go. A question to everyone, starting with you, Rebecca. One group allegedly that has been unwilling to participate in the uh, vaccine at the moment insofar as receiving shots in the arm are African-Americans and some uh, Latinos. And uh, my question to you is, is there a reason why uh, black and brown people should be fearful of a government program? And if so, why? I, I I I can't answer that broad uh, question. I think, as far as African American voters are uh, concerned, uh, by their voting behavior, it would suggest that they do trust, particularly Democratic government uh, governments. They vote overwhelmingly Democratic, uh, and the social policies that Democratic uh, officials. Uh, promote. So I don't think it's, you know, a broad issue. I think there is a historical fact, which I know you're aware of too, Bruce, that uh, of the Tuskegee experiments and, you know, where people were. Which was under Democratic administrations, we should mention. Excuse me? It was under Democratic administrations. That's right. That's exactly right. And it was a horrific circumstance. So, you know, there are reasons to uh, for any group to distrust uh, government from time to time. And I think that if there are people in the African-American community who are concerned because of the legacy, the horrible legacy of Tuskegee, then it's the responsibility of community members and elected officials and business people and others to say that this vaccine is uh, worth getting just as you're getting a vaccine for chickenpox or flu or whatever it may be. But realistically, Mike Mill, I want to kind of bring you into this discussion because, you know, on the other side of the political spectrum, you have, uh, according to reports, uh, a lot of resistance from Trump Republicans. They're they're active in the mask, uh, you know, anti-mask movement. Uh, by golly, uh, they're not going to get it because they don't trust government. So if they don't trust government, some of the most conservative members of our society and vocal members— um, and you also have African-Americans, certainly, uh, who have a memory of the Tuskegee experiment, which was horrible, uh, maybe a little less specific with, uh, with Latinos, but Latinos perhaps being fearful of, uh, of being, uh, especially if they're illegal or undocumented, being shipped back to their country of origin, uh, if they step forward and, and put their name on a list and get a shot in the arm, that's a significant number of people who have, in their mind, a real reason why government should not be trusted. Your Mike. Yep. Sorry. Uh, I, it is the case that folks from both sides of the political spectrum uh, on, I want to say the extremes, but uh, they don't trust government. I, I don't trust government all the time. That's why partly why I'm a Republican. I'm, I believe in a limited government with, with, with enumerated powers. Um, and I can understand the uh, the concern in the black community, given what has happened in the past. You know, but uh, Rebecca was talking about that the people who aren't getting vaccinated have other underlying problems and we need to get to them. You know, it could be that those two things are related. In other words, the people who are not 
doing well in terms of their health because of obesity or uh, eating the wrong things or, or high blood pressure because of high salt content or something. And people who maybe they smoke and so forth. These would be also many of the same people who would not take uh, a vaccine. I mean, it, it just there's a certain behavior that's actually it's quite consistent as far as I can see uh, between that you would reject the it's vaccine called, along with it, rejecting maybe eating a healthy diet. It's it, it's called you don't trust recommendations of government. Yeah, I, I think that's part of whether it. you're a fat cat Republican uh, who who enjoys eating nothing but 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 garbage food, whether it's the former president of the United States or not a fast food diet. Uh, who, who don't care about what's going into their body, and you have African-Americans who were concerned about listening to government again yeah. when they listened to them once, and, uh, you know, they felt that government, uh, you know, uh, you know, tried to kill them. Yeah, if I could just program. add real quickly one other thing. Right before the election, before Mr. Trump lost or, or yeah. Mr. Biden won, Kamala Harris is on record as saying she will not take the uh, vaccine if Mr. Trump is president because she won't trust it. Right. Right. So she was saying that coming up to the election. Right. All of a sudden now that she's vice president, oh, you have to take it and and so forth. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that can turn people's stomach when it comes to government. I don't but trust. What we you. don't have is we do not have leaders. I, I have not I've not heard of any a Caucasian leader who tries to address the issue directly to the Trump voters as to the fear of government. And I certainly haven't seen any black leaders step up and try to explain Tuskegee, explain what happened and how yeah. does this differ from the Tuskegee experiment? There's an, there no, isn't a um, black leader who's done it. If they have, I've missed them. Rebecca. Yeah. I, I just was looking up some data for us while we were talking and I found a study here, common reasons unvaccinated people gave for not getting vaccinated. Yep. This is across the board. And 45% uh, of those people uh, are concerned about side effects. That's the main reason. Yep. So I, the second reason is waiting to see if it's safe. So I think yep. what that, and that's 40%, that's the majority of, of the population of those who haven't been vaccinated. We've got, to, we've, got which, to, we've got to pause again. I want you to finish that on the other side. By the way, the other thing on the issue of safety, uh, you have the experiment we had with Johnson & Johnson. I mean, right. this was something that was approved by the government, and then all of a sudden is pulled it back from the paused. government and is now back okay. So, again, that, those are contemporary things that people are thinking about as to whether or not they should put, uh, you know, a needle in their arm and, and accept right. uh, uh, COVID shots. I, Bruce Dumont, our three guests, they have been terrific. They will be back for the second full hour. We've got a couple of callers on the line. I promise we will get to you on this uh, Mother's Day 2021, and we've got a lot more to talk about in hour number two. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. For some, news is about their opinions. We believe the news should give you the facts without bias, so you can form your own. We believe in news, not talk. Facts, not opinions. News Nation is on every night at 7 p.m. on WGN America to give you the information you need. Everyone calls it the news, but we'll actually deliver on it. Seven nights a week in primetime. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. News Nation. It's your news, your nation.
Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog and new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Bruce Dumont back, and hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us. We are here in Evanston, Illinois, and Stephanie Hitt is here. She is our card-carrying conservative. Rebecca Sive is our card-carrying liberal. And Mike Miller is our academic, uh, a man who put in his resume when he got out of college, got the job, and stayed there for over 40 years. That's uh, <laughs> Not many people in life could say that, Mike. You, you got your first uh, job, and, and you kept it. You must, uh, you must love it. And they must obviously love you. Uh, we've, we've got some callers on the line. I want to bring them into the conversation because we've monopolized it uh, for the first hour. But I don't want to go too much further without bringing Mike Miller in because, Mike, I want you to respond to uh, uh, the jobs report that came out this week and uh, what your what your thoughts are on uh, that it wasn't as rosy as uh, we thought it was going to be. You know, uh, it's going to sound like I'm a Biden supporter. Of course, I want Mr. Biden to succeed because he's my president. Um, However, looking at that jobs report, there's one thing that you have to learn, and I'm speaking as a macroeconomist who looks at many of my colleagues who do forecasting. Uh, A macroeconomist in times of uncertainty are not very good at forecasting, especially in times such as the, the pandemic. So this idea that we knew that there should have been a million jobs created, not 266,000, was simply a guess. Uh, 
And that's what set it up to be such a horrible report. It wasn't a a bad report. It wasn't as strong as you would expect, given all the other economic data that we have with regard to retail sales and incomes and so forth. But to add 266,000 new jobs is not a bad month. And people may not know this, but these data are what is called seasonally adjusted. If you look at the non-seasonally adjusted data, there were a million more jobs um, this past month than there were the month before. Uh, but we do adjust it because the seasons have an effect upon the way the numbers uh, the numbers come down. They give us more information if you remove seasonality. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was not a horrible report. Uh, and you should never take one month's report as, uh, to use the word, the gospel. You have to look at it over mm-hmm. several months' report. And there's no doubt that the economy is moving in the right direction. Uh, the job market is is strengthening, although we still have many who are unemployed, and uh, there still is a mismatch between the jobs and the uh, people in the labor market. For those who uh, are traditional investors, um, I want to get your reaction to something that happened last night. I, w- I want you to explain a little bit about the new e- the new economy and the new uh, currencies. Uh, and Bitcoin, because uh, mm. Elon Musk was the host of Saturday Night Live last night. Uh, and one of the bits was he was asked to be a guest on Weekend Update to come in to explain uh, the, the latest uh, news from from that world. And he started to answer the question and eyes glazed over and they asked it again and again and again and eyes glazed over. And yet uh, he affected the markets today. They, they reacted because uh, of the answer comedically that uh, he gave. So my question to you is, I don't know whether you saw the show last night. I did not. Uh, but my, my question to you then is explain to, um, to the average investor, conventional investor, what it is that people should either like or be fearful of when it comes to describing Bitcoins and all of the new uh, currencies? Well, one thing is that people became concerned uh, based upon the money that we do use, which is called fiat money. It's money because the government says it's money. It's not backed by gold or anything like that. So, And the government can pretty much print as much or as little as they desire, which leads people to conclude that they could print so much that it would become valueless. Uh, Something like Bitcoin is an alternative in that it's completely transparent. It's based upon a technology called blockchain, which is a very safe uh, way of uh, moving things around. And there will only be so many Bitcoins ever produced. And then from that point on, there's uh, it's simply how much people are willing to accept in payment for Bitcoin. Um, from an economist standpoint, and I, I, I've talked to my own financial advisor, I don't do my own financial work. Uh, it is a, an asset class along with stuff like real estate and bonds and stocks and so forth, but it is a highly speculative one. It, it is not a money in the true sense because it is not readily accepted everywhere, and therefore it's not a true money. But people are trying to make it such. And what you see is that uh, PayPal and MasterCard and Visa, all of them are beginning to accept payment and are willing to pay in Bitcoin. So it is making inroads. And maybe in a few years, it will move from being a purely speculative piece of something to a true alternative to people using money. But there's one thing we have to understand between this point and that point. Uh, the one thing that could happen, which would make everything change, would be regulation. If and when the government gets involved in the regulation of Bitcoin, 
its value as something that you can, I don't want to say hide, but you can kind of do things privately that you can't necessarily do with uh, cash, uh, that will disappear. And then it becomes uh, anybody's guess as to what will happen to the value of Bitcoin. Mike, look look into your crystal ball and, and you know, uh, economists are always asked to look into their crystal ball. So my question to you is look into it and, and answer the question one decade from now, 10 years from now, will, will this new currency, will it be something that will be in the rearview mirror as an idea that's been tried and, and failed? Or will it be something that every, every kid on the street's going to be able to explain it to you and use it? My guess, and it's purely that, it is a guess, is that 10 years from now, there will be some kind of digital currency. Uh, and my guess is that the technology behind it called blockchain, which I understand is a way of tracking things, and but it's extremely transparent. You know exactly where all the money's going. You don't know who owns it, but you know it's moving around. And, and anytime large quantities are bought or sold, you know exactly how much is bought and sold. I think that kind of transparency will lead there to be something in this realm uh, in terms of a digital currency. It will be sped up or slowed down depending upon how well the central banks of the world manage their fiat currencies. If the dollar can be kept under control by the Fed and if the euro can be kept under control by the European Central Bank and they don't go printing gazillions of them, which which reduce their value both in terms of exchange and in people's confidence in them, anything that undermines the currency will lead people to try to find alternatives such as Bitcoin and so, so forth. So it, it, we're in a transition period in that forecasting where we would be in 10 years is extremely difficult. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm in a sense being humble in that macroeconomists are not that good at looking out that far. Rebecca Sive, uh, within the progressive community, you and your friends, uh, how do they view these uh, uh, new digital currencies? I have never had a conversation about these digital currencies with any of my mm -hmm. uh, political friends, so I really don't know the answer to that. Okay, Stephanie, what about you? Uh, with conservatives? You know what? I actually think it's, and Mike, you can pit, tell me what you think, but I think it's a generational thing. It's sort of like you know, uh, just before we went on the air, uh, Bruce was looking at his iPhone using the headphone charger. And so the you know and and I and I, we jokingly made a joke about well where are the dials? I think it's going to be something very similar. I didn't similar. say where are the dials. I said, <laughs> but I'm, I'm saying you know I think that we are you know we, we live in a digital age. This younger generation deals in digital way of thinking, okay. digital way of communicating. You know all their transactions. So if we had digital. twenty somethings around the table tonight, they I would, think that it's they'd it's, be explaining it's us. that's going to be okay. the way, and I think that. You know, you know, the real thing, the tangible stuff, it's going to go the way of the dial. Here's a tangible thing. It's called the commercial break. I'm Bruce <laughs> Dumont back shortly. Here's the money. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one -on -one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Wish you were here. 
Words we've often seen on postcards and letters from friends and family. Luckily, there's an entire state that whispers, wish you were here. Climbing my dunes, sailing on my breezes, walking along my beaches, and getting lost and found in my forests. This is a postcard from Michigan, where wishing you were here is the heart of pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Bruce Dumont back for our TV folks. I'm holding up what was given to me as a phone charger, and I stuck it in the wrong place. That's what everybody was laughing about, but I now have a replacement that is stuck where it is supposed to be stuck. Um, let's go to calls. Uh, Dave from Washington State has uh, waited a long time to get on the air this evening. Dave, go ahead. Hey, Bruce. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Um, you had me all worked up with COVID, and then you guys started getting into the economy okay. uh, and the jobs report. Which would, which way would you like me to go? Whatever I can go question, either way. Whatever is the most important question to you to get off your chest. All right. Well, since I heard all this COVID talk in the beginning, and uh, I have yet to be calmed by Joe Biden. I'm tell, I'll tell you that. Every okay. time I see him talk, uh, I, I see him saying things that are, A, contradictory, especially about COVID, um, even from the beginning when he said, I'm going to be a president for both the red and the blue states, and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to work just as hard for people who didn't vote for me, who did. And I was like, that's just crazy. Yeah, you know, no, you, you can't yeah. even, you know, saying yeah. that is just ridiculous. Um, but, you know, he, he comes up and talks about the uh, vaccine, saying that there was no vaccines when he took office, when he had already had a vaccine. And then when he said he was, his goal was 100 million shots in the first 100 days, I literally went online and said, why such a low estimate? Because the day he took office, we had already hit a, a million vaccines in one day. Dave, and anyone my, knows, Dave, knows anything, Dave, my question to you is, obviously, you're not, a, you're not a Biden fan, but let me ask you the question that began the broadcast this evening. Do, do you think with all of the, you know, interpretations, both right and left, that you have, do you, in your personal life, do you think COVID is behind us? Are you are you worried about it at all? Yes, absolutely. Abs- no, I'm not. It's absolutely behind us. We, we It's behind us to the point that we have herd immunity. I'm so sick of pe- hearing people say, we're still in this. We still have a long ways to go, especially Democrats. Get online. They're all on TV talking it up. And I'm like, wait a minute. If you look at both people who have been vaccinated and people who have already had COVID, and it's easy to figure out the calculations, uh, you've got 32 million people who have had been confirmed with COVID. You take that and you have to adjust for people who were never tested, especially early on. And there are many scientists that will tell you that early on, and the Democrats were pounding Trump early on, nobody can get tested, nobody can get tested. The, the testing was about, they said it was about 10 to 1 people that were getting tested and had COVID who were not getting tested who had COVID. So you have to do a multiple. If you multiply the average of that out, which, again, you can find people who will verify this, you multiply it by about 5. You multiply 32 million by 5, you get 160 million people who have had COVID already in the country. You add to that the, the portion of people who have just been vaccinated, 120 million fully vaccinated, and after accounting for overshoot of people who have been vaccinated who also had COVID, you still end up with about 240 million people. That's 75% of the population. We have herd immunity. Does that mean we're not going to have any more deaths, no more cases? Absolutely not. But it means that we have herd immunity and that we can take our masks off. The people who have been vaccinated are protected. If someone that's not wearing a mask has COVID for some reason, the other person that's been vaccinated is vaccinated. Dave, you mentioned you're calling from Washington State. What is the what yes. is the rule in Washington State? When you come out of your house, are you supposed to have a mask on? And if you have it on, what can you do or cannot do? 
We are still in masks. We still we are at 50% capacity in most of the places that you can go into. We almost went back to 25%. We almost made the jump backwards because we had a tick up in one of the, the numerical uh, statistics that they follow. Thankfully, our, the governor made one right decision. Finally, Inslee made something smart. He had a two-week pause. Instead of pushing us back, he said, let's wait two weeks, which I will guarantee in two weeks it's going to look a lot better. And they'll say, oh, okay, good thing we didn't step back. But we ha- we're supposed to wear masks everywhere. And the funny thing is, if you go across the border to Idaho, there's no mask. Like, here, everybody's wearing a mask. Idaho, hardly anybody wears a mask. Obviously, two different kinds of states. Uh, but it, it's just the ridiculousness of, of how we're, we're treating this thing. And then the, the, the most recent ridiculousness is India. Everybody, I, now look, I hate all deaths. But people are over-talking about India. They say, look, India hit 320 million deaths, and then they hit 400 army cases, and then 400 million cases in one day. The problem is nobody puts things in perspective. India is 1.2 billion people. They're four times the population of the United States. Our biggest day in the United States was about 311 million. They would have to hit... 1.2, 1.2, or I mean 311,000, they would have to hit 1.2 million cases in a day to be what we had equivalent in one day. So they're nowhere near that, nor will they ever get there because we have vaccines. But the media will have you think that, oh my God, India is a, it's, it's showing a canary in the coal mine. It's coming back. It's killing everyone. It's not the case. We need to put some rationality on this thing. Do you believe as it relates to India, because the uh, President Biden spoke about it uh, this week, uh, how do yep. you feel about the United States sharing some of the vaccines that we have with India, providing them? We with... absolutely should. Okay. Absolutely. That... Share, share all those vaccines. We have, we're we're going to have such a lower demand right now because most of the people that have wanted it have gotten it, and anybody else that wants it still can get it, but the demand is much lower. What I'm about not the getting fact, it. What, okay, about, what about that we are, sh- we are sharing things that maybe some around the world question? In other words, if they end up getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, they'll say, well, you know, we got the, we got the lesser product or AstraZeneca. I mean, why are, why are you know, it's not used in the United States? Why are, why are we getting their supplies? I mean, does it look yeah, like— Yeah, I understand the concern. Does it look like we're getting—whether we are giving to our friends in their time of need— does it look like we're giving them the bargain basement discounted? I don't, I don't know. That's tr- that's a, I, think, I think that's a tricky one, but we have so many people vaccinated right now, we just don't need those. If we needed them, and we, if we still had a, demand, a dire demand, we would still be accepting those vaccines. I guarantee if we didn't have the other vaccines, Moderna, and we just had the vaccines that had been taken off for, the, they took off for blood clots, that were at a rate less than people or than women get from taking birth control. So that was ridiculous. Uh, there's still a safe vaccine, but if that's all we had and we needed it, we'd still be taking it. It's uh, not what? like we're giving them things that don't work. Right, t- hey, t- Bruce. Take a breath. Add- Mike Miller, go ahead. Yeah, real quick. Uh, Dave, you're still there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I wanted you to know that was one of the most um, uh, intelligent uh, conversations I've heard in a very long time. Uh, you, you had oh, the data and you presented it very clearly. Yeah. My compliments to you. A second piece, I was in Washington State just last week uh, for an entire week. I was on the other side uh, in uh, western Washington. And when I was in Bellingham, which is a very liberal town, everybody was wearing masks. And we're out where I'm going to be living when I retire in a town called Linden. We went into many town, many businesses that said, wear a mask if you want. We're not uh, upholding the, the state law. And I thought that was wonderful. So several of the places I went into, they did not require us to put on a mask because they've, they've simply had enough. They had your your view. If you're vaccinated, 
if you're intelligent enough to make your own decision, you wear a mask or you don't, we don't care. Uh, but so parts of Washington, of course, are. I hear you are, right. When you retire, you're going to retire to the state of Washington? Uh, yes, I am. I I, uh, I'm, I actually bought a place um, yeah. outside Bellingham between uh, in a town called uh, Linden. And um, it is one of the uh, most beautiful states oh my in God. the Union. Yeah. And again, uh, let uh, Dave, let let your fellow uh, people from Washington, your Washingtonians, <laughs> let them know that a conservative professor from Illinois is on the way. That's right. Okay. Well, good. Well, we we get up them. into that area, into Blaine and Birch Bay well, and, and Linden and so and Mike, forth. There's actually, uh, there yeah. are conservatives up there. I Mike, your are. story is, yeah. is not unique. There are parts of even our very shut down state that you go, you go out of certain counties. You're not seeing mass. People are having parties. People are doing things. They're Thank walking goodness. around. There have been businesses throughout the entire pandemic that underground or whatever, have been wide open, no masks, no limitations. That's been going on this whole time. Question Good to you, Stephanie. Uh, you, you wanted to make a point about social media. David, well, thanks very much. You wanted to make I, a point I, about I, social media. Thanks, Dave. Thanks a lot. Um, we talked about there's a lot of people that don't, you know, that are anti-vax. One of the things I'm seeing in the little corners of the world that I peek into once in a while is there's a a large number of very educated people that are conservative that one of the reasons is they are concerned about the vaccine is every time they try to share information about the vaccine, even when it's coming from Stanford and Oxford and Harvard professors, social media takes it down. Social media is controlling the dialogue and the conversation. And that adds to the tremendous amount of suspicion people have about whether they're getting the information, whether the conversation is out there, whether people can be fully informed. And it raises the suspicions. And this is not a trivial thing. This is huge. So the the uh, the restriction of speech and the labeling of speech that we see in social media in a ver- variety of things, political and so on, is very, very much controlling the conversation on vaccines. Rebecca, do you agree with that? Do you steer, uh, share Stephanie's concern that social media is uh, uh, complicating uh, an understanding of where we are because of their censorship? Uh, no, I don't share her view. I think the term social media is uh, overly broad. I think <laughs> if you want to talk about what's happening in specific uh, contexts where uh, news or commentary institutions use social media, you know, that, that's a different matter. But I think as to the primary typical vehicles, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, there are people across the spectrum politically and on the views of coronavirus and vaccination who are minute by minute, second by second, uh, presenting their views. So I don't see anything significant in those uh, three arenas. As to the social media used by other institutions or people like those of us who sit here, each of us uh, has the freedom to express Uh, ourselves as we wish and so we can do so bruce i can only say that this is this is one of the of the divisions which i i just don't know how to explain Uh, 
15 the evidence regarding the control of the di- of of the uh, the discussion, the narrative on Facebook and Twitter and so forth. Yep. That is so controlled that certain views are simply unacceptable from physicians having discussions about the findings of the CDC being taken off of, of yeah. Facebook. The fact that, that there are people who are very bright Mike, who I've don't believe interrupt. it. I just, I've, got to, I've got to interrupt floored. because we've got a break. Back shortly. Yep. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other. With friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders. For you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. 14 clubs. That's what they tell us a legal golf bag can hold. And while that leaves a little room for balls and tees... It doesn't leave room for much else. There's no room left for deadlines or conference calls. Not a single pocket to hold the stress of the day or the to-do list of tomorrow. Only 14 clubs. Pick out the right one and drive it right down the middle of Pure Michigan. Your golf trip begins at Michigan.org. We're back on Mother's Day 2021. Nice to have you with us. And let's go to Joy also from the great state of Washington. Listen, the, the wind is blowing great from uh, Chicago to Spokane and points west tonight. Go ahead, Joy. You know, I could not hear Dave on my on my connection. Oh. So I'm not sure. I know, and I can hear you all, but I couldn't hear him. Okay, and well, so I'm not sure. If I'm going to be, I'm probably going to be contradicting him, but I don't know. <laughs> so I hope. Well, he was just we described as like one her. of the greatest callers in the history of the show. Right. So, so good beat luck. That, I know. Beat that joy. I'm a little nervous about this. <laughs> I'm ahead. a little nervous. Well, I'm on. I'm on the progressive Democratic side, so yep. I think that's a difference there. Yeah. Um. You know, and I have like, well, four comments. One very quick that I thought the most inter- interesting thing about Elon Musk last night and maybe everyone knew this but he said he was autistic and i didn't know that Mm -hmm. um so in his opening monologue he mentioned that and i thought that was really Mm -hmm. um i thought that was great um i did too and i thought he did a great job i did too i thought it was very good um my, my my comment about masks is that i just think that um our former president politicized it in such a way that it's that we're even having this discussion. Um, I know this isn't a close analogy, but it's like, you know, you, you cover your mouth when you sneeze or you use a Kleenex or handkerchief and you're, you're protecting other people. You know, you don't want to sneeze all over your hands and everything else. And so you're, you do it into your elbow and it's just something that you do. And so now that we're in this, now that it was elevated to this extent of it's our freedom being taken away, it's, you know, it's saving every life and you should triple mask. I mean, on both sides, it's just become so political. And um, I see especially kids. I pick up my great nephew from school. He's a first grader. The kids all have their masks on. They're back to school here in Spokane. I think Spokane's done it very well. Um, but it's they're not. They don't have a political um, 
bone to fight here in this thing. And so they just do it. And so we wouldn't be having these discussions about, oh, look at Biden. It's still wearing his mask, even though he's been vaccinated. I think there are Asian countries where people have been wearing masks for years because of SARS I'm and for other reasons. Joy, I'm interested um, in your I'm interested in your point where you said that uh, President uh, Trump politicized it. Uh, was he the only one that politicized it? Because uh, there's two sides of this coin. I mean, if you're the president of the United States and and you, and you make a comment and a Democratic governor or Democratic governors go after you saying that you're incompetent and you're stupid and everything else, I mean, who's politicizing it? Is the, is the president politicizing no, think, it or yeah, is the recipient no, politicizing think, it? I think on both sides. But, yeah, you know, you yeah. watch him with the reporters and tell them to stop doing that. I mean, it's just that the president's weight carries so much more importance. We just can't get away from that. The right. president's words meant something. And so and then my other comment would be that, you know, they say that the government is putting all this money into marketing vaccines, but we don't know how. Um, you know, I've heard Fauci himself say, my experience with HIV and AIDS is you get community partners to encourage people. Right. You work with, um, uh, you know, so I don't know how they are spending the money. I volunteer for vaccine clinics. And one of the first I volunteered for was the Pacific Islander community. And they were giving food away. They had a tent. They had music. It was a drive-by. They wanted to get the elders of this community vaccinated because they'd been hit so hard with the death. And so, um, so well, no, they I mean, you're getting, I mean, you're getting it. You're getting it as a survey if you go to certain major league baseball ga- games. I mean, yeah. yes. there is this yes. community outreach, and it is it is part of something that's being offered. You know, after you've bought a ticket to a major league baseball game, but there's other places right. that they're using it as an incentive. But I'm yeah. just wondering. I mean, uh, uh, how, how much more incentive do you need uh, at, at the, in this time? Well, I think besides the incentive, I think it was getting to the community. And and so you have people who the community trusts. And so I think that's part of it. And so the, I don't know how the government is spending their money. It may not be signs like Uncle Sam says, I want you. Yeah. Well, it may I'm... be that the money goes towards a doctor's campaign. It may yeah. be that the money goes towards, you know, other campaigns. Yeah, and and it also, it also one of the also one of the other things is 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 it may go towards uh, a, a a solicitation campaign involving a celebrity or a popular athlete right. or right. anyone that has a yeah. following. LeBron um, went out. Yeah, LeBron was out. getting LeBron, vaccinated. LeBron, yeah. I think the or other, that big that. Well, you pointed to something very important, and, and that is the ease of access. I think that's. That is right. probably the greatest, you know, access is the greatest barrier so that right. when you do have, you know, I think uh, I think that it was just announced that, you know, when you have 40,000 pharmacies, I mean, we all think about it. Think how easy it is today to get a, a flu vaccine or a shingles vaccine or a pneumonia right. vaccine. I mean, just in the last couple of mm-hmm. years to get those that you don't have to go through your doctor anymore. You can walk in, you can get it at the grocery store, you can get it at the pharmacy, you don't have to make an appointment. That is going to be where the vaccine becomes a normal part of people's lives, which mm-hmm. is what we're really right. shooting and for I here. Think like, so that's the key. Um, I think I think the Spokane Indians, our local baseball team, is going to offer a vaccine clinic. And just my final comment is that when they were t- when you were talking about 
some of the reluctance to get it, and it's those people who have mm-hmm. um, bad health to start with. I just wanted to put in that for many low-income minority neighborhoods, it's not that they're not listening and going with the government pyramid. They're in food deserts. They have convenience stores to shop at. They don't have grocery stores. Grocery stores, they don't have the investment dollars. They, it's too risky for them to go in. I worked with a faith-based organizing group, and we worked for years to get a grocery store in East Palo Alto. You know, and across the freeway, you have Palo Alto with all the billionaires right. and millionaires, and people wanted to shop. If it wasn't at the gas station, they had to take two or three buses. And so I wouldn't put that, I wouldn't put all of the black and minority group in with the big fat cat Republicans. I just don't think that that's a fair comparison in a lot of the cases. Okay. Well, again, but 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 there's so still there's still there, there is still resistance. It's 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 a different the motivation of the resistance uh, is different, but again, it's still resistance. Thanks very much for your call. Let's yes. go to um, line three. I don't know who it is, but it says Rebecca is not not what <laughs> Connor. Not what is it? I can't understand you. Should I take this call or not? Oh, take one. Well, let me just address one thing, and we're not going to have, you know, this could be a whole show, but one of the things that we've learned from COVID, and I think our last caller was talking on this, is there, you know, there's a lot of public health kind of issues. We know who, you know, COVID dis- disparately impacts people who are not healthy to begin with. And that is something, and, you know, Access to nutrition, access to health, access to vitamin D. I mean, Ireland just came out recommending that everybody go out and up their vitamin D. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of ways that we could be preventing these things, working with people to be healthier but isn't that, so that we don't isn't have to that, have vaccines. But no, but it, it, I mean, for the for 50 plus years, isn't that part of the basic education? There used to be a course in school called health. Yeah. Which would t- which would, now you well, wouldn't, now necessarily follow ed, all, but... <laughs> wouldn't necessarily follow it all, but again, right. you're right. I mean, uh, o- obesity is you you will usually find obesity as part of heredity. Yeah. If if your your parents were fat, you're probably going to be fat. Right. And again, if you live in a in a community where there is a the, you no live grocery in a food store. district, yeah, or there's only a convenience store, or there's no farmers you, market. How do you walk into a into a convenience store and walk out with anything healthy? Right. And, you know, there's so many layers to this issue. I mean, again, we could dedicate a month of shows to this, and that is, you know, why why isn't there a grocery store? Oh, well, because it's it has to be unionized if you're going to be within city limits. I mean, there's all these other issues that go on to it. But, I mean, one of the things that we heard over and over at the beginning of this is sunshine, exercise, fresh air, you know, being healthy, eating healthy, losing weight, exercising. Those were— Cover your mouth on, when you cough. Right. Those are basic things. Those were the number one things of if you did those things, chances are even if you got sick, you were going to get, you know, it wasn't going to be a big deal. Let's go to Edward in Chicago. Go ahead, Edward. You're on the air. Yeah, kind of things that you would have learned from uh, dad and mommy, you know, those kind of things. (laughs) Practice good hygiene. Right. Uh, My comment uh, is that uh, what's going to happen with these uh, empty buildings where you have carpenters and electricians? If nobody's going to the building, what are these people doing? Like downtown? You mean building building high rises? Well, you're right. I mean the 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 one of the maintenance. One I'm of the, about maintenance. Oh, yeah. you mean maintenance? Okay. 
Well, that's a good. They they, they lose. Yeah, there's their going job to be a change in, in there's going to be a change Mike Miller. in real estate. Mike Miller. Yeah, there. Uh, my understanding is that real estate in downtown areas, they're expecting when this is all finally over, will be down at least ten percent in terms of the amount of space that'll be needed. It'll be somewhere between eighty and ninety of what it was before the pandemic. And it's not going to go back because uh, people have learned to work from other places and still be productive. And this means that all those other jobs, which go along with those uh, buildings, yeah. are going to ha- they're going to be lost. Some of those, and and people are going to have to be retrained. That's why I'm a very big fan of, of community college and and retraining. That's where you know you want to know where would the money go Great in school. terms yeah, of. Um, yeah, crazy. in terms of the money to try to get the government to convince you to get a, 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 a vaccination, how about putting it into retraining of people whose jobs have been lost because of the COVID and, then, and that those jobs aren't going to come back? Mm-hmm. Now, that would be a very sensible way to spend the money, I wanna, relatively I, I wanna, speaking. I want to break. I want to get Rebecca's response to that. We've got to say farewell to you, Edward. I'm Bruce Dumont. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Along the way is where we find the unexpected. Along the way is where we take in the scenery and often where we have the most fun. Sure, along the way can be the place we stop to fill up or grab a bite to eat. But in Michigan, along the way becomes the place we've been longing for. Because enjoying the journey is always pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. We're back in Chicago. We're having some nice to have you with us this evening, uh, along with uh, Connor McKnight, who always gets the credit at the end of this program. I want to mention something. For those who are listening in the Chicagoland area, uh, there is someone by the name of Connor McKnight, who is the producer of this program. And in the same market, there's a person by the name of Connor McKnight, who is associated with the Chicago White Sox and is one of their a play-by-play announcers, a very good one, I might add. But it's two people with uh, an identical name working in the market, and ours ours is uh, Connor McKnight, the producer, and he produces Beyond the Beltway, and he keeps us on the air every Sunday night. So I want to just make sure there's no confusion between the two. Um, you Bruce, wa- Yes, go ahead. Yeah, I, I wanted to just... Uh... On the point about community colleges, yes. uh, President Biden, I think it was about eight days ago in his mm-hmm. proposal, it's a $1.8 trillion proposal called the American Families Plan. In it uh, is the recommendation uh, for free community college education of the sort that was being discussed a moment ago mm-hmm. for anyone who wants it. So someone who, for instance, to the point that was being made earlier, who wants to get training in a different kind of a job will be able to do that if that act is passed. Advisedly, uh, Senator McConnell has said he's opposed to everything President Biden uh, is in favor of. So, you know, this is uh, 
not a good thing if we believe, as Mike and I both do, mm-hmm. apparently that people should have the opportunity to go to community college and be trained for better jobs. Yeah. Mr. Biden is in favor of that, apparently. Mm-hmm. Mr. McConnell is not. Yeah. Well, certainly, well, I problems. would argue that some kinds of grants to those who have that special need would make more sense. But let's keep in mind that if you change the relative price of community college versus, say, a four-year school, do you realize how many four-year schools you're going to put out of business? Well, they- I, I can tell you that, you know, I'm, I'm old enough, I'm older than you, uh, to uh, have taught at Harold Washington Community College. Uh, in the early 1970s. And I believe, you know, it was a token sum of money. And I don't believe that was true at all of the city colleges of Chicago, which at the moment, at that time, I think there were five. And I don't recall any four-year universities down the street or otherwise, DePaul, Roosevelt, anyone going out of business. It was a marvelous opportunity, which I can speak to having taught Mm. there. Well, I think, oh, there's I no think, doubt it's much cheaper, yeah. but it, with many uh, four-year schools on the cusp of, of bankruptcy already, uh, this would push them over the edge. And by the way, if all these people then, instead of going to the four years, would go to the community college, where would they put them? Where would they well, find the faculty? Where I would think they... the proposal isn't that you must go here versus there. The proposal is, for instance, if you want to be trained as a nurse's aide in a two-year program, you can go to a community college and do that. If, on the other hand, you've decided you want to be a doctor, then you'll have to get a four-year degree mm-hmm. no, you can and still a medical go two degree years of, and all of that. So You can still go two years for your, for your liberal right. studies and portion. Can, and, and transfer, of course, okay. and, transfer right. and get a four-year I, degree. I, when you change relative price that dramatically, you're going to have unintended consequences. And uh, small liberal arts colleges are the ones that are going to pay the price for that. However, I think that I think it, it is a good time, and maybe President Biden is the one to lead the discussion. This is a good time to reconsider the role of community colleges as it relates to education, as it relates to uh, that halfway point between those that have to be retrained. Obviously, it makes more sense to go to a community college to be retrained and given the basic information upon which to build the next step in your life and your career is to go for uh, either you need additional training at a higher uh, higher uh, uh, building of education uh, or, or not. But it's it certainly is a good discussion to have. And again, you've got some progressives out there, as you know, Rebecca, that want free college education for your mm-hmm. college education. Uh, that right. doesn't seem to be something that's going to get a lot of public support. It may you amongst know, the I, left, but not the left. Whereas, whereas focusing on community colleges uh, might make a better sense and and be more, uh, um, you know. Let me agreeable. just remind us all of a fact of history. Uh, my father, my husband's father, uh, various other people in that generation of my family, all went to free four-year colleges. Brooklyn College, City College, in our case, because we grew up in New York. Mm-hmm. And the world is a better thing for, for their having had that opportunity. These were low-income kids who were smart and they deserved a chance. And the city of New York offered free four-year education. And as I said a moment ago, the economy of New York City did just fine and, in fact, greatly benefited from a whole wave of World War II veterans who went to free college and then on the GI Bill. So I would say that there's significant precedent in our social policy 
making for having free four-year college and the country benefiting from it. That's clear as day. Okay. We just have to make sure what you mean by free. You might be free. Yeah. There's no tuition for the student. It is not in any way free. You know, I'm a faculty yeah. member. You still have to pay me and you still have to pay for the building. And you That's still have to right. pay for the checkbooks and you still have to pay for the for the advisors and you still have to pay for the computers. And no one's disputing that the people, oh, no, that, no I, one I, who's advocating for uh, a free, edu- no tuition is advocating that teachers donate their time. That is not in the proposal. Oh, I understand that, but it makes it sound like it can be done on the cheap. It can't be done I, on the cheap. I, don't, I, I think if you were to look, I think... Uh, Senator Warren was the first one to propose this idea during the Democratic primaries, and I think you'll find if you look at her policy proposals in some detail, you, you'll find the economics of it clearly spelled out. Yeah. On that note, I have to say farewell. Uh, Rebecca Sive, you've been our progressive this evening. Uh, Vote Her In is the title of your book. Um, that's how to elect a, uh, a woman president of the United States. Mike Miller from DePaul University in their economy department, uh, economic department, and thank you very much, Stephanie Hitt. Thank you very much. I know you've got some comments to make about Caitlyn Jenner. We'll give you that opportunity when you return to this program. Our thanks to Connor McKnight, the producer of Beyond the Beltway. I'm Bruce Dumont, the host of Beyond the Beltway. See you next Sunday night. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games, but I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope. Our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, 
we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership.